just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. Well, I'm recording this in the early morning hours of January 6th, 2022. This is the one-year anniversary of the insurrection on January 6th, 2021. And to be perfectly honest with you, that day was probably one of the darkest days we've seen in this country. Of course, we had Pearl Harbor, we had 9-11 and other events. Those were dark days, too. Now, maybe we didn't have the deaths that we had in those two tragedies. But this was an important event. We had fewer people die, but what was being attacked is our form of government. People in this country, domestic terrorists, were trying to overturn an election, overthrow a government, undermine democracy, and they were being led by the President of the United States, and the Republican Party. There are few days in the history of this country that are darker than that. And one year later, we're still trying to sort it out, trying to hold people responsible for that tragic and horrific event. There have been 725 perpetrators charged so far people who charged the U.S. Capitol, broke in to the U.S. Capitol, beat up, even killed police officers, desecrated the U.S. Capitol. They weren't successful, but they were close enough to strike fear in just about anybody that was watching that day. And here we are a year later still trying to sort this out. Yes, the perpetrators are going to trial. Many are getting convicted or uh, pleading guilty. We've got a long way to go, but we still have to see if it's going to encompass this investigation is going to encompass those people that help plan it in Congress or in the White House. We'll talk about that more in a moment, but what you need to know is today is a momentous day, and our government, Nancy Pelosi, the House of Representatives, have plans for Um, commemorative events in remembrance of that day, January 6, 2021, the insurrection. And it's important that we pay tribute to that day and those people that were heroes that day. This is another one of those things in this country that we cannot forget. It always has to be in the forefront of our mind. The future of our country depends on it. Had that been successful, this country would be much different than what you see today. As messed up as things are today, it would be different. We would be moving toward an autocracy, fascism, whatever you want to call it. But it wouldn't be democracy. It wouldn't be what this country was founded on and what we've come to love about this country. Republicans, Donald Trump, the administration, wanted something different. And the only reason they wanted something different is because they didn't get what they wanted in the election. They felt like they should hold on to more power. So the only way to do that is to cheat and or overthrow this government. That can never be accepted. 
We've got the investigations going on now with the House Select Committee and uh, the DOJ. But we need some action with this because what, what do they say? If we don't pay attention to history, we're doomed to repeat it. And unfortunately, if something like this happens again, it could very easily be successful. And then all that we've worked for for these centuries in trying to build this country would be all for naught. Because now we'd be headed in another direction, a worse direction, a worse situation for everybody in this country. Now, the interesting thing is Donald Trump, always the shitster, he wanted to also have a little event of his own on January 6th. At the same time, the events in Washington, D.C. would be going on. I talked about this in the last podcast. Well, what he wanted to talk about is election fraud, which has never been proved. He wanted to talk about fake news and the horrible Democrats and all this sort of stuff. Well, at the last minute, somebody on his staff thought better of it and convinced him not to do it. But there was another part of this that uh, caused him to not do this little event in competition with the events going on um, in memory of the January 6th insurrection. Apparently, no network entity, no cable entity, was willing to run it. They were going to get no exposure. And Donald Trump knew if he did something like this and nobody paid attention to it, he would look terrible. (laughs) Which is ironic, because how much more terrible could he look? But his ego gets the best of him all the time, and he decided not to do his presentation and instead do something at his next rally on January 15th, wherever that fucking is. I don't know, but he isn't pulling the crowds he normally did, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Donald Trump is losing ground. He's losing a grip. He's losing people. And it's slow but sure until the point where nobody wants to pay attention to Donald Trump. Now, there was another another event planned for today. That was an event in Cobb County, Georgia. Now, they were going to exalt all those insurrectionists as patriots and heroes, trying to change the narrative. They were even going to run Donald Trump's speech up ahead of their events and make this a great party. Being excited for those people who tried to overthrow our government and feeling sorry for those people who are now in prison because they were part of of that attack. Well, now that Donald Trump shit-canned his idea of actually going up and talking on January 6th, Cobb County, Georgia, followed suit and said, fuck it, we aren't going to do it. It's hard to imagine that either one of these groups really believe this was a good idea. I mean, certainly it's in bad taste, but I don't think either of these two entities, Donald Trump or Cobb County, give a fuck about taste. Clearly they have no taste. But they felt as though that they weren't going to get the coverage that they'd hoped for. And that's the real key to this whole thing is coverage. The only place Donald Trump has any power is by controlling the narrative, speaking his mind, getting people, media to cover it. And then he can change people's minds or mislead people that are willing to be misled. And when he can't accomplish that, there's really no point because that's all he's got. 
He can't deal with facts. He can't deal with truth. He can only lie and try to get the highest uh, highest platform he can get to get it out to as many people as possible. So as much as it's a sad day, it's a day of remembrance of the insurrection on January 6th, 2021. It's also a good day. Donald Trump's not going to get away with what he normally gets away with for the past four or five years. And the people that want to tag along behind him, like Cobb County, they aren't going to get to do it either. Their efforts are being uh, finished off. They they, they, They don't have a chance to do this anymore. That's not to say they won't try in other times down the road. But this was a big event. Now, see, one of the things I'm really concerned about with January 6th is the fact that uh, there was violence that day, clearly. There's plenty of video of it. And there are all kinds of Trumplicans who are trying to say that it was just, it was just patriots protesting nicely or that they were tourists just looking around the Capitol. Now, we know that's not true. And it's unfortunate you can't help but consider, is there going to be some more violence tomorrow, given the date, given the anniversary? I'm sure the U.S. Capitol is pretty well protected at this point, but that doesn't limit it from other capitals around the country or other places in Washington, D.C. I don't know. I hope not. I mean, most of these people are cowards. They need surprise attacks, and everybody will be on guard today during this particular day. So I highly doubt there's going to be anything violent going on, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention and be prepared just in case. Now, I was talking about an upcoming talk or presentation that... um, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, was going to give yesterday, and he did that. Now, Merrick Garland, and in this particular instance, it's kind of unprecedented. Uh, An Attorney General wouldn't come out and make this kind of statement or make this kind of presentation under normal conditions. But I think Merrick Garland is at a point where he's getting a lot of pressure from Congress, from the general public about his unwillingness to talk about what's going on in the DOJ with regards to the insurrection on January 6th. Now, we know there's been pr- plenty of arrests, indictments, prosecutions, and even even uh, people found guilty, people pleading guilty, that were the perpetrators that were charging the U.S. Capitol, breaking into the U.S. Capitol, beating and traumatizing police officers, U.S. Capitol police officers, killing police officers, desecrating the Capitol. We know that these people have been arrested, many of them. Actually, about 725, and that's certainly not all of them. They're still looking to try to identify other people that were there on January 6th. But to date, they have 725. About one-fourth of them have uh, pled guilty. So they will be sentenced, and that will go whichever way it goes. And, of course, there have been a few people convicted. Now, Merrick Garland pointed something out, and this is something we've talked about before, and it's it's something you need to know. Some people are saying, why are these people not getting all these long sentences like they think they deserve for 
trying to overthrow our government. Well, normally what a DOJ will do in a situation like this when there's a lot of people, they'll start at the bottom, they'll start at the easy, easy cases and get them under their belt. Then they'll move up and get the a little harder ones and then they'll move up again. Mayor Garland talked about this today and he basically said, here's the way we do it. We start at the bottom, the easy ones, we work our way up because we can create a platform or a foundation of facts to help us when we finally are investigating and prosecuting the more complex crimes and the more complex situations with the people who committed those crimes. So this is an unusual that the DOJ is doing what they're doing now. I know everybody gets impatient. We want to see long jail terms, and we want to see immediate justice. And unfortunately, that's not how it works. It just, I don't care if you don't like it. It's just not the way it happens. But the question has been, is Merrick Garland, is the DOJ even considering the higher-level criminals? Now, we know what's coming from the House Select Committee, that there were sitting members of Congress, the administration, even Donald Trump himself and his family, that were involved somehow in the preparation of this attack. The more we hear, the more we understand that there were plans and strategies set, and they were running them in order. And this attack on the Capitol was one of those processes that they needed to go through in order to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. So as much as the perpetrators, the people on the ground at the U.S. Capitol, should be prosecuted, our question is, are those people and sitting members of Congress, the administration, Donald Trump, his family, are they being looked at for crimes? Because clearly they committed crimes. They weren't at the Capitol but they were part and parcel to what was planned to go down at the Capitol. And I said when I was talking about Merrick Garland, knowing how Merrick Garland is, he's very close to the vest about everything he does. I said he's going to come out and try to give us some relief and let us understand that, yes, they are considering it, and there will be some activity with those higher-level criminals but he's not going to say it outright. And that's exactly what happened. He told us, he told the DOJ staff that they are going to investigate and pursue everyone at every level that had anything to do with the insurrection on January 6th, 2021. Everyone at every level. He said whether or not they were on the Capitol grounds, or they weren't on the Capitol grounds, they will still be looked into, investigated. And those people will be held accountable should the facts lead them to criminal activity. So that's kind of a soft way of saying it, but at least Merrick Garland has assured us that uh, they they aren't just forgetting about the higher-ups. They aren't just going to let them off the hook. They are going to do something. Now, What he said there isn't probably what you wanted to hear, certainly wasn't what I wanted to hear, but up to this point, we haven't heard fucking anything. We didn't know if he even knew there were higher-ups involved in this insurrection because he hadn't said anything. 
So by coming out yesterday and saying what he did, at least he gave us some clarity that he understands there's a problem in Congress, there's a problem in the presidency and the administration, and there are potential crimes there, and we are looking at it. And he said he would hold everybody accountable at every level for any crimes. He said he would be following the facts and the money and the digital information, meaning text and emails and those sorts of things. So while it doesn't make you feel a whole lot better, at least we know. At least we know Merrick Garland understands that he needs to go after the people in Congress, the president, the administration, because they were as guilty as those people crashing into the U.S. Capitol. They were maybe even more culpable because without them, without their power, without their direction and information and facilitating of this situation, this could never happen. So they are as responsible as the people breaking the windows and spreading excrement and urination all over the all over the Capitol, desecrating the Capitol. They are just as guilty at this point. So that's good to hear. Merrick Garland spoke up. He set our minds at ease a little bit. I know none of us are going to be happy until we start seeing indictments, start seeing people in cuffs, start seeing people going to trial. But Merrick Garland said, people ask, how long is this going to take? And he says, as long as it needs to take. Well, that's a little disconcerting. He's not giving us an actual timeline, but of course he wouldn't. Like I say, Merrick Garland is very close to the vest. At least something's going to happen, but we're under kind of a tight time frame here, of course. We've got the midterms by 2022. We need a lot of this; these things happen between now and 2022. So Republicans know exactly who they are. So the voting public knows who the Republicans are. And those people that were involved in a crime against this country. That all needs to be exposed. Fortunately, the... Um, House Select Committee will probably get a lot of that information out, even if they don't start proceedings with indictments and trials and that sort of thing. Now, somebody said something to me in one of my posts. They said, well, if it doesn't go to 2022, then um, the Republicans will just shut it down. If the Republicans take power in the House and the Senate, they'll just shut the investigation down. Well, yes, that's a possibility. But you have to understand, The DOJ really has nothing to do with Congress at all. Once these things are referred to the DOJ, remember, Joe Biden has two more years after 2022. Once it's out of Congress and in the DOJ's hands, the Republicans can't do jack shit. It's still going to be Merrick Garland. It's still going to be a Biden presidency. So the key is to get this stuff to the DOJ before 2022 in case the worst possible situation happens and the Republicans take over in the House and the Senate. Because even if they take over, they can't stop the DOJ. They can't stop the DOJ. That's a different branch of our government. Congress can request things from the DOJ. They can refer things to the DOJ, but they can't tell the DOJ what to do any more than Joe Biden is willing to do. 
Now, I know we saw it all the time with Donald Trump and Bill Barr and the DOJ, but that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how a democracy works. And that has to be something we look at as well. But if you are worried about everything being shut down, should the Republicans win in 2022, don't be. The important thing is between now and 2022, what needs to get to the DOJ gets to the DOJ from the House Select Committee. The DOJ isn't going to stop doing anything if the Republicans take over in 2022. They still have a job to do. They have another two years under Joe Biden. Now, if it goes another two years and a Republican ends up president, then we may have a problem because we'll get a new attorney general and uh, maybe somebody just as bad as Donald Trump. But there's plenty of time for the DOJ to do what they need to do. It would be nice to have them do it before 2022 to help the election. But as I say, if the worst happens, don't worry about it. Once it's in the DOJ's hands, the Republicans can't do shit about it. They won't do shit about it. So it's going to be okay. I suspect we're going to see some things happen before then, though. We are going to see some indictments. And keep in mind, it's not just about the DOJ. It's about Georgia. They've got an investigation on Donald Trump about his attempt to overturn the election in Georgia. It's on audio tape. He's going to get indicted there. And then you've got the Manhattan District. They have his taxes They are going to be following through with something. We have a new prosecutor there, but that doesn't matter. This guy's tougher and meaner and hates Trump more than Cyrus Vance did. So we're going to be good there. And then we have the um, attorney general in New York who's got the civil cases that are going on. um, And she wants to hear from Donald Trump. Don Jr., Ivanka Trump. She's already talked to Eric Trump. So there's a lot of shit going on there. Donald Trump has bad things coming at him from every angle. 2022 can't stop any of those things if the Republicans win. So don't worry about that. Justice will be served. It would be nice to wrap it up nicely before 2022, and I hope they do. But... It's not the end of the world in terms of going after Donald Trump, the Republicans, and the administration. It's not over in 2022 if the Republicans wins. So don't worry about that. It'll be fine. All right, we're going to take a quick break, then we will be right back. So Benny Thompson, chairman of the House Select Committee, has got somebody else in his sights to talk to, to testify in front of the House Select Committee, and that would be former Vice President Mike Pence. Now, he would be an interesting guy to talk to. He was very close to Donald Trump. He was the one being pressured by Donald Trump to do something that he really didn't have power to do by refusing to certify the election. It's a ceremonial thing. He had to do it. There was no way around it, and he did. He was also being threatened by this crowd that Donald Trump sent over, these domestic terrorists. He was being threatened with his life. They wanted to hang Mike Pence. Unfortunately, Mike Pence still continued to suck up to Donald Trump, and why, I don't know. 
I think Mike Pence wants to try to run for president in 2024. That's ill-advised. Mike Pence doesn't have a fucking prayer. As a sycophant to Donald Trump, he's not going to be able to be sold very well when it comes down to the election year. He may run, but he'll be dumped early because nobody has any respect for the guy. Even if he wasn't connected to Donald Trump, he's just, he's a wimp. He doesn't do anything. He obviously can be pushed around by Donald Trump. And if Donald Trump wants to run in 2024, which I don't think is going to happen, do you think Mike Pence is going to bow to him? He's certainly not going to be the vice presidential choice of Donald Trump. Donald Trump's going to go somebody uh, with somebody who's more radical, because that's what Donald Trump does. He radicalizes people. That's why we have all these Trump lafucks all over the country. They've been radicalized. And Mike Pence, for a stupid as he might be, he clearly hasn't been able to be radicalized. But there'll be some interesting things to talk to him about when he was running down the hallways, down in the basement, was going to get in a car and be taken away. But for some reason, he didn't want to do that. I'll tell you what, Mike Pence understood that these people wanted to kill him. And he knew that It was being done, and it was being promoted and pushed by Donald Trump. So if Mike Pence wants to save his life, the last thing he wants to do is get in a car with some people with guns that work for Donald Trump, that were obliged to Donald Trump. So Mike Pence was in a very tough situation. He had the crowd outside wanting to kill him. And then when it came to trying to get away, he had to worry about if those people in the cars, the Secret Service, whoever, if they were interested in killing him. Mike Pence was a marked man. Now, Mike Pence should stand up and speak out against Donald Trump. He knows as much as anybody. And the House Select Committee, Benny Benny Thompson, knows this, and they like to interview him. Now, whether or not Mike Pence will speak, I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. He's got enough enemies out there. I don't think he will. I'm not sure if they can subpoena him. They're still trying to decide whether they can um, subpoena sitting members of Congress. Mike Pence, on the other hand, doesn't hold an office currently, so it may not be a problem. But being so close to the president, being formerly a vice president, that might pose some problems. They're trying to figure out how they can subpoena sitting members of Congress and potentially Mike Pence. It's going to be interesting to see how Mike Pence plays this out because he's really in a no-win situation. He wants to be president, but it's going to piss off Donald Trump, and we know how he hates to piss off Donald Trump. He wants to revive some semblance of a career, but after being tied to Donald Trump for four months and going through the bullshit that he did, well, he doesn't really have much to run on. All he's got to run on is fucking failures. Mike Pence, like Donald Trump, is an incredible failure. He's weak, and he showed it every day he was in office. He's a sycophant to a man that's crazy, treasonous, seditionist, criminal, corrupt, and animal. That's who he pled, pledged his allegiance to, Donald Trump. 
Now, if he thinks that makes him a good candidate for president, well, I think you'll be surprised that that won't be the case. That will not be the case. Now, of course, we know that um, Benny Thompson has asked Sean Hannity to testify in front of the House Select Committee. There's been no word yet from Hannity whether he's going to do it or not. My guess is he's not. But they took that opportunity to take a lot of text that they got a hold of through Mark Meadows' filings, his 9,000 documents that he turned over for some reason. They've got a number of texts from Hannity to Meadows, Hannity to other people. We understand that he at least talked on the phone with Donald Trump days after the insurrection. Clearly, Sean Hannity has some inside knowledge, and the way he was talking in those texts, it sounds like he might have been part of the whole planning of this operation. The comments he made suggested, oh, we can't do this, we shouldn't do this. If you do this, you're going to le- you lose the whole White House counsel. And that's really what was happening. When it came down to a point where Donald Trump wanted to fire Attorney General Rosen and bring in this Jeffrey Clark, this piece of shit, this wimpy fucking piece of shit, and put him in as AG so that he could get all these states to overturn their elections. Well, everybody on the White House Council, everybody on his staff said, you do that, we're fucking resigning. And we know how bad that would look and how badly that would cripple Donald Trump and his whole administration, so he backed off. And the reason they said they would resign, because they know how egregious, how illegal that whole process is. I mean, this is the same mistake that Richard Nixon made in the 70s when he fired an attorney general and then another just to try to get his way. It didn't go well for him. He ended up having to resign. And if not for Gerald Ford, who pardoned him, he would have been on trial because he broke a number of laws. But even still, if you look at Richard Nixon, the things he did pale in comparison to those things that Donald Trump did. So Hannity was more than just a reporter with Donald Trump. He was an advisor. He was somebody that assisted Donald Trump in his campaign and in this situation after he lost the election in 2020. So Sean Hannity is somebody that needs to talk. He has a lot of information. And this is a much different situation for Sean Hannity because, you see, he certainly doesn't want to go down with Donald Trump if Donald Trump, in fact, goes down. He's got a career. He's making a lot of money at Fox News. If he somehow becomes tainted or embarrassed or made to look like a criminal, it's going to cost him a lot of money. Sean Hannity is a narcissist like Donald Trump. He's certainly not going to give up his life for yet another narcissist. He's not going to fucking do that. So he may talk or he may not talk. And I don't think the House Select Committee really cares if he talks. In fact, I think they expect he won't talk. But it gave them an opportunity to release these texts that were written by Sean Hannity's hands. That puts Hannity in a tough situation. You've got all this stuff, all these communications that he wrote, that he said. And if he decides not to talk, that could make him look all that much more guilty. Sean Hannity is a talker. He's a good talker. Maybe he thinks if he does sit down and talk, he can handle these representatives and uh, talk his way around him. 
I don't know what he's going to do in this situation. Just based on history, it would be that he wouldn't talk, but he knows he's in a tight spot. He knows he has a career ahead of him, and he doesn't want to shit-can it today for somebody, some dipshit like Donald Trump, because as much as he follows Donald Trump, as much as he supports Donald Trump, trust me, he knows Donald Trump is bad for this country, and he knows Donald Trump is stupid. But what he gains from this is power. Here's some stupid-ass TV, cable TV alleged newscaster just doing what he does, and he makes a lot of money. But if he can impact what happens in policy in this country because he's got a connection, the ear of Donald Trump, well, that's power the most egotistical people just can't give away. But now his ego might shut him down completely. So what's he going to do? They haven't heard from Sean Hannity yet, and I don't know that they will. But again, this was a great opportunity for the House Select Committee to release a lot of his communications. He doesn't have to say a word. It's all said in his text and his emails. So Sean Hannity's fucked anyway. He's part of this. He's involved in it. He knew what was happening and was part of the planning process. So Sean Hannity could very well be in a position to be prosecuted at some point. And speaking about idiots, let's talk about some idiots. How about Mike Lindell? Haven't talked about him for a while. It seems that Mike Lindell is currently under investigation by the January 6th committee. And we know this because Mike Lindell pointed out that he got a note from Verizon, his cell phone carrier, and they told him that the January 6th committee was asking for Lindell's phone records from November to January. Now, here's the deal. Verizon can't turn down Congress. They've got to send it to them. There's been all kinds of phone, uh, phone records given already. And so his phone records are going to be given to the January 6th committee. Now, we know the people he's talking to, Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and all those people. It'll be interesting to see who he was talking to on January 6th during the insurrection. You almost have to feel sorry for Mike Lindell. This former crack addict got lucky with these pillows that he sold, and he made a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. I think he was worth a couple, three, four, five hundred million dollars. It's a lot of money from some former crackhead in Minnesota to start selling pillows that are nothing but chopped up (laughs) foam rubber. But he made a lot of money. But somehow he got dragged down the rabbit hole following Donald Trump, believing anything that anybody told him, and then he'd repeat it. And when he found out later that it was wrong or a lie, then he'd find somebody else to lie to him, and he'd follow that. He spent months and months telling us August, September, Thanksgiving, Donald Trump will be back. And every time, he wasn't back. When he had his little telethon, he allegedly had all these documentations, these uh, computer information that showed how the election was stolen. And when he put it up there, it was absolutely ridiculous. It didn't say anything. And in fact, his own 
experts said, yeah, that's bullshit. That's not going to work. So this poor guy is running through every bit of his fortune, looking like a fool every bit of the way. He's getting sued by Dominion for $1.3 billion, and he's going to lose. This man, for following Donald Trump, will end up broke and a disgrace in this country. He's already a disgrace in this country. But now they've got his phone records. That's just the tip of the iceberg with Mike Lindell. He's not even a big player in this thing. He's a loud player, but he's not a big player in it. They're going to take him in and destroy him in a matter of months. So you got to kind of feel sorry for him because he seems like a hapless dupe. He seems like he's been had the wool pulled over his eyes by Donald Trump. And you would think somebody that a company worth a half a billion dollars was smarter than that. But clearly he's not. You know, at the point where he found out that some of the things he was told was a lie, that the smart thing would, would have been, I'm going to back out of this, I'm going to apologize for what I did, admit my mistake, go back to making pillows, and keep making money. But he couldn't do that. He's a bit of a narcissist, too, so he can't be wrong. So he's going to double down and double down and double down. Well, now they have his phone records. This is stuff he can't gaslight. It's there, just like with Sean Hannity. He can say whatever he wants, but the text messages and emails are fucking there. These two are in trouble because this isn't going to go well for Donald Trump. This insurrection is going to be exposed for what it is, and they are going to be part of all of it, and they are going to go down. And yet another failure for Donald Trump, and this time he's bringing down a lot of people with him. All right, let's talk about a couple of other things. Um, Ron DeSantis. Now, Ron DeSantis was missing for two weeks. No one knew where he was. A lot of bad shit happening in Florida. COVID was going crazy, but Ron DeSantis was gone. Nobody knew where he was. He sent a message out saying, well, I was just taking a vacation around Christmas. Yeah, right, Ron. Like you give a fuck about your family. You only care about your own little power. But we didn't see him for two weeks. Well, yesterday he stepped up and did a talk about monies he's given out to different different uh, organizations. And if you watch that video, and if you haven't, go back on YouTube and check it out. He didn't look good. He didn't look good at all. He was having trouble talking. He was having trouble with his breath. And I'll tell you this, having been in radio for 40 years, having doing traffic reports and such, and going through periods of time where I've had colds, or bronchitis. I really had no one to back me up. So when I was sick, I had to go to work. And the thing about talking for extended periods of time, you've got to be able to, I don't know, pace your breath so you don't lose your breath. And any one little thing that throws off your breath, it makes it hard. I remember being at my job and having to go to the bathroom and then running a little late and running up the steps. I wasn't out of breath because it wasn't that long a, a stairwell. I wasn't out of breath, but my breath was changed. It was at a different pace. And then when I'd get on the air without sitting for a moment and getting my breath to normal, 
It would be hard. You'd lose your breath at the end of a sentence, and it became very difficult to speak. Well, that's exactly what I saw in Ron DeSantis when he was giving his speech. He was struggling. He was really struggling. And here's the interesting thing. If he'd been out and disappeared for two weeks, presuming he had COVID, and I think most people did, if he was out for two weeks and now he's in front of the public because he thinks he can speak in front of them, but he's still having problems, still looks sick, still having trouble breathing, that's a pretty scary thing. I don't know if he's gotten his shots or not. Somebody suggested he did get the one-shot Johnson & Johnson, but has not gotten his booster. And we know that Omicron can have a significant effect, and it is very infectious. And uh, it's conceivable, since Florida is having so much trouble with uh, the, the COVID-19 and the variants, that he could have caught it. He doesn't wear a mask. <clears throat> he didn't bother to get a booster, and he's out bouncing around talking to everybody. So he could very well have gotten COVID. And from what I saw yesterday, he doesn't look like he's done with it, which is weird because I know a lot of people around me who got the Omicron variant but were fully vaccinated with the vaccinations and the booster. And they were a little under the weather for a few days, and then after a few more days, they were fine and they were testing, um, testing negative. So it wasn't fun, but it wasn't deadly. It wasn't hospitalization. Nobody had to hide. They just stayed in their homes for a few days, and everything was fine after that. Now, if you're not vaccinated and you get this thing, apparently it can last two, three weeks. And uh, Ron DeSantis still looks like he's struggling. But here's the most interesting thing about that story. He was giving this talk. He was talking to a lot of people, obviously sick, but he wasn't wearing a mask. No, he was walking around spewing shit like he always does. He's probably infecting any number of people. With Omicron, we know it's very infectious. He alone could infect as many as 10 other people. And then those 10 other people could each infect 10 people. And so on and so on. You can see how it how it travels quickly, and it can infect a lot of people very quickly. I don't know for certain that uh, Ron DeSantis had COVID, but he sure looked like it. He wasn't comfortable being in the public eye for two weeks, which is weird because this guy loves nothing more than being in the public eye, and then all of a sudden, he wasn't. So chances are he probably got COVID, and what's ironic about this is it, it, it's amazing how something he called a hoax, something he suggested that vaccines were not good for you, really took its toll on this idiot. If that ain't karma, I don't know what is. And uh, <laughs> we'll see how it shakes out, but Ron doesn't look good. And you know what? He fucking deserves it. There's no question he deserves it. <clears throat> now, we know in 2022... That's the midterm election. Everybody's worried about it because they think the Republicans are going to take over the House and the Senate, and then all hell breaks loose. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't think the Republicans will take over either. Uh, if they take over just one of them, well, that's okay because then it's just pretty much a gridlock. Um, 
And if they don't break down the filibuster, then if the Democrats are in the minority, then um, they can use the filibuster the same way the Republicans did. And then they'll be all for the, the filibuster. Just watch. But I don't, th- I, I don't think they're going to lose the majority in the Senate. They might gain some seats. The House seems to be more questionable, but I think they can maintain that as well. But here's something you, you should know that you may not know. You know the reason why the Democrats have the majority in the Senate. And that was because two senators from Georgia, Ossoff and Warnock, were voted in right at this time of year, last year, right around now. It was actually uh, maybe even on this day or the day before, maybe the 5th. But the Democrats won the runoffs and won the elections in Georgia. Two Democrats in Georgia, which was unusual to say the least. Now, Ossoff has six years in office. That's the standard period of time that a senator is in office, six years. Senator Warnock, that's a different situation. You see, Senator Warnock, the Democrat from Georgia, is up for re-election in 2022. So we aren't locked in with two Democratic senators in Georgia. And the reason why Warnock is up for re-election in 2022 after only two years in office is because the gentleman who held that office prior to Warnock, a guy by the name of Johnny Isaacson, who was a Republican, died in office December 21st, I believe, December 19th in 2021. He died. And then shortly after that, they had the uh, special election and the runoffs and all that stuff, and Warnock won. But Warnock doesn't get six years. He only gets to finish out the term that Johnny Isaacson left behind, and that was two years. So as much as it's nice to have two Democrats in Georgia, it's not a six-year thing. Ossoff will be there for six years, but Warnock is up for election in 2022 to take office in 2023 or remain in office. So that's one of the important Senate races we've got to deal with. We've uh, got Stacey Abrams. We're running for governor, and she's pulled together a great political team out there, so it'll help Ossoff, well, not Ossoff, but uh, Warnock again, because she was a big factor in both these guys winning the Senate seats. But we're not safe in Georgia yet. We know that there's all kinds of uh, voter suppression laws and that sort of thing. That's why we have to get this uh, voter voting rights bill passed federally. But just so you know, Warnock is up for re-election in 2022. So you don't have a lock in Georgia for six years. So there's going to be a big push to get Warnock reelected in the Senate. The good news is that he's getting some things done. There's not that much distance from when he won the first time. So it's going to be hopefully a little easier for him to win as an incumbent. But it's still kind of a treacherous situation for uh, Democratic rule in Georgia. Stacey Abrams is a hustler. She's a go-getter. She makes things happen. She'll win the governorship, and she's going to be working hard with her team of people in Georgia, her Democrats, to try to get 
Warnock voted back in in 2022. All right. Running out of time here. We're going to wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, by all means, send me an email directly at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, look for Rational Boomer podcast and leave a voicemail message. I want to thank you for taking the time to sit back and listen to me. And I will be back tomorrow. So you have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.